hello, hello. Happy Saturday. That's right. We made it to the weekend. Hooray. The last weekend of August. It feels like it was just March. Uh, my name, as always, is Alex Streamer. You can find the show wherever you can find your favorite Outsports podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. You name it. We're there. Listen, download, subscribe. You know the drill. But yes, it's the last weekend in August. Uh, it seems like, as I said, March was just yesterday. I'm still not really convinced that uh, we've really lived life since March. It seems like we just all stopped in place <laughs> on March 11th or March 12th or whenever the first shutdown order was, uh, was put forth in your locality. Uh, but here we are, end of August, end of the summer, here with you. Uh, I promise this week's show will be more entertaining than any speech you heard at the RNC. I'm sorry. I mean, it just needs to be said for somebody and people who consider themselves to be such showmen, Donald Trump, the Trump family, all of them are awful speakers. Awful. No pacing, no cadence. I mean, teleprompter Trump is interminably boring and... I think that was honestly my biggest takeaway from the, to use that word again, interminable four nights. It just droned on and on and on and on and on. Trump is the greatest. Trump is the greatest. Trump is the great. I mean, that was really the message. Oh, just awful speakers. Pence is a terrible speaker. And I'm not talking about the content. I'm just talking about, again, pacing. Trump droned on and on like 70 minutes just, oh, excruciating, no humor, terrible speech writing, just boring, really boring. So nonetheless, hopefully this podcast is a bit better. Uh, I regret doing my show last week before I went away for the weekend to Provincetown because I did not get an opportunity to comment on the Tom Brenneman news, but we actually covered it out sports. I agree wholeheartedly with Sid Ziegler who wrote a piece about how he would not fire Tom Brenneman. Um, If Tom Brenneman had a history of making homophobic remarks on the air, uh, then I would feel differently. But as we know of, this is a one-off incident. I don't think this is the only time Tom Brenneman has said a homophobic slur, given that, again, he was saying it casually in conversation at the workplace. (laughs) So... There's little doubt in my mind that that awful, gruesome word is a part of his vocabulary. But the goal should always be, and Sid writes about this quite well, the goal should always be education. And you want to fire Tom Brenneman? Fine. But what does that solve? Wouldn't a better tactic be sit down with him and try to plot a path forward? Yeah, Sid mentions it in the piece. There are numerous examples of sports figures from Tim Hardaway to former cornerback Chris Culliver, the list goes on, who have changed and had said anti-LGBT things in the past, had said anti-gay things in the past, and have turned into really, really important and strong allies. I don't know if Tom Brenneman will go down that same path, but that is the best way to go. And if he doesn't put in the work, And if he doesn't seem sincere, then fire his ass. That kind of mentality, that kind of language should have no place in any workplace. But let's see. And I think with a lot of this stuff, the first instinct should be, 
How do we move forward? And Steve Buckley, my good friend, says it in his column in The Athletic. How about the Cincinnati Reds hire an openly LGBT broadcaster? I mean, there is still so little LGBT representation in sports media. How about the Reds do that? How about Major League Baseball does that? And I mentioned that, the topic of LGBT representation, because that's really what our interview is about today. Uh, Very excited to welcome on our guest this week, Ben Livingston, who is a former gay sports talk guy, just like me. He was a morning show producer in Pittsburgh at 93.7 The Fan. He was the afternoon show producer and third voice in Philadelphia. He made WIP's afternoon show, Marks and Reese, number one in the market, helped make it number one in the market, I should say. It's, of course, a collaborative team effort. Um, but Ben and I just shoot the crap for twenty for 40 minutes, and we, we talk about it all, from being gay in sports talk radio to why Ben left sports talk radio and why I left sports talk radio and I'm now back into sports media and sports talk radio. Um, and we talk about talk radio in general, uh, how much sports talk is too much sports talk, uh, it's great. I'm a total radio geek. I could talk about this stuff all day long. So it's a great conversation, and that's coming up on the other side. I'm excited to get to it. It's a sports geeky. Thank you, as always, for listening. And welcome back to the show. It is the Sports Kiki Podcast, and uh, very excited to uh, get this conversation recorded now. We've been talking for 10 minutes, wasting all our good stuff. We're violating the first rule of radio here. It's Ben Livingston, uh, who's a former morning producer in Pittsburgh at 93.7, afternoon producer in Philadelphia at the uh, legendary legacy station, WIP, uh, who made Marks and Reese number one uh, in the afternoons there. And he also is gay. So we welcome him to the podcast. Ben, how are you? Thanks for coming on, man. In, in, no, in no particular order of importance. <laughs> no particular, I mean, I would always put, you know, going number one in afternoons, that's a pretty big deal, man. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, I mean, it, no, it was, it was cool. And I, um, I think that's also perfectly frames the way that throughout my radio career I kind of thought of it. It's like, oh, and by the way, like, I'm also gay. And it's, it's, it's interesting, and that's kind of why I'm excited to talk with you is um, I know when in my career I always looked to see who my age was doing sports radio that was gay, and it was, it was basically you and me. Like, I didn't know that many other people that were doing it, especially, um, you know, in the Northeast and, and, and at stations in our company, Intercon, it was kind of like, uh, it was like being a unicorn in a way. So I'm very excited to have this conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think just us, basically. I can't think. Uh, not a lot of yeah, not not a lot of gays in sports talk radio. Shockingly, no. Um, at, least, at least openly gays. I think a lot of repressed repressed men in sports talk. But <laughs> yes. Um. So anyway, you don't work in sports radio anymore. Uh. Why? Because I don't either. <laughs> so um, my story is probably a little different than yours, and I'm actually never told this story about why I left sports radio, and I think it's one. Okay that a lot of um, gay men will find relatable um, or just LGBT people in general. So when I lived in Pittsburgh, I was, um, I really, really loved it there. I worked with Greg Giannotti, Andrew Filippone, Chris Muller, Colin Dunlap, uh, Jim Colony, Josh Miller. I, I loved all these guys. Um, I loved them to death. I loved the shows we did. Um, to be working with some of those guys early in their careers when they were doing late nights and, and building things up, it was great. But on the flip side, I had come out of the closet right around the time that I had 
um, started at the fan as an intern, which was in 2011, I came out in 2012. And, um, or in 2010, I came out in 2012. And I remember, um, you know, I, I loved my job and I was all about my job. And working in sports training was great. I mean, it's, it's like every kid's dream. You had the same experience. Like, it's, it's the first years, it's amazing. It's all you want to think about. But to be totally honest, the dating life sucked. It did. Yeah. And, and this is to say nothing wrong about Pittsburgh as a city. I absolutely adore Pittsburgh. But anybody who has used any sort of dating app, whether it's gay or non-gay or whatever, understands that if you are trying to look for gay dating, whether it's online or in person in a city like Pittsburgh, which is, is Market 25, it's Rust Belt, um, it's not conservative, but it's definitely not super liberal. It, it's a difficult place to be. And I, I never held a grudge against Pittsburgh for that, but it was the reality. It, it, the way I would describe it to people is if you had a breakup, and let's say you live in New York, fine you move on like you find somebody else it's great you go and you'll forget about it in two weeks. you might even be happy in, <laughs> right like but in 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 pittsburgh it was like you'd you'd be if you found somebody it was like oh my god like this is crazy this is incredible and the, the dating was never that dynamic for me and um it was difficult it was because i never really was able to have the experiences in my 20s i wanted to so eventually i was able to go home to philadelphia and when I was in Philly, I experienced a lot more of the fun that you'd want to have when you're gay in your 20s. But um, I knew that for me, since I was not an on-air person, really, I was more of a behind-the-scenes person, that right. those kinds of careers, as with any career, tend to lead to um, a lot of transiency in small markets. If you're a program director, you have to develop yourself, you know, go out to a smaller city. I won't like specific ones out there to, um, to try to, like, you know, throw any city under the bus, but it can be hard. Lubbock, and, Texas um, is the one that I always Yeah, Lubbock, Texas. <laughs> um, there you go. Um, so I think that's probably a safe bet. So I, I didn't want to, um, I really didn't want to have that be my future. And I remember the seminal moment was when the Eagles were in the playoffs in their Super Bowl run, they had the bye week. And I had this thing at the time where I loved dating guys in New York. And I went on a date with a lawyer at Columbia. Um, and I just remember being like, this guy's awesome. Like, this is, there's so many cool guys like this here. I really want to be here. New York. I always think of guys in New York. I always loved it because it felt so dynamic, exciting. There were so many people doing all these really cool things. And I, I came to this realization after that date. And he's like, you live in Philadelphia. This is never happening. I said, I need to move to New York. It, it needs to happen. And that combined with wanting to kind of settle down and I think kind of exhaustion from a lot of years of just being 24 seven in radio, I decided to move my compass towards living in New York. And I decided to transition to a career that involved a lot of the same um, thought process and creativity of radio, which is data science, which is basically trying to tell stories with data and use data to develop new insights and, and use predictive modeling to see the future, all things like that. And, um, at first, I thought I wouldn't love it, but I ended up applying a lot of the skills I had in radio, and people think radio people are the coolest thing in the world when you're not in radio, which is a surprise when you've been in radio for so long. And I came here, and I absolutely loved it. And like to be honest, if you want a good end of the story, because I ended up going to Columbia, and I accelerated my timetable of moving here because I got to go to school here, it's been everything I could have dreamed of. Like the, the, the gay dating life here, the energy, the bars, everything is just so much better than I ever could have dreamed of. And I, I really had this dream to have an active um, gay lifestyle more than my career. And yes. it, it was a really difficult decision to make that sacrifice of my dream job, but I've yes. never looked back and it, it's been really wonderful.
Yes. So you chose your social life over, not that you don't love what you're doing now, but you chose your social life over your career. Right. And I, I think I ended up loving the career that I chose much more. Right, right, and right. Yeah, it, it, it's, never, it's never been about for me. And I never really said this enough when I left radio, but um, it, I love everybody at WIP and the fan. Like, I deeply love those stations in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. They were incredibly formative for me. Um, they are genuinely good people. I mean, I'll talk about my experiences there. They were wonderful, but um, I think that every gay person can identify with this idea is that to live this really fulfilled gay life, whatever that means for you, is something that is an incredible blessing. And honestly, once you live it, even straight people get a little jealous of you. And oh, yeah. I have gotten that to the nth degree here. And to kind of envision that and be willing to make that massive sacrifice and see it come through, it, it's been an amazing feeling. You know, honestly, that is kind of a reason, one of the reasons why I left WEI last summer as well. I left for a job in the State House because a couple of reasons. I, A, was becoming less interested in sports and more interested in politics. And though we talked, as you know, on Kirk and Callahan, uh, a lot of politics, I still worked at a sports station. And I'm like, well, I, maybe I want to try something else. But also, I think even just as much as that was the idea of having a traditional nine to five was very appealing to me. I said, you know, my whole life I've been up at 4.30 for the morning show. I've been working till 10 at night. I've been up Sunday morning. I've been Saturday afternoon. I mean, I haven't, you know, had a weekend off in years. Um, and I kind of wanted to just live that gay life, as you said. But then I left my statehouse job after a few months because I missed I missed what I was doing so much. You know, I felt like I was like, I, I, I couldn't, I, I, I was addicted to being in the day-to-day, and I realize I still want that. So how are you dealing with those feelings? Because it's quite a transition to go from radio to a more traditional job. Well, come back to me once the, the rush of, uh, of the New York life has, has worn off, and maybe like the yeah. rush of grad school has worn off, because I think you know, going to Columbia, and, and I've been really fortunate I've gotten to work at um, I've gotten to do research at Columbia Journalism School, which is the top journalism school in the country, and I'm at IBM, which is IBM. Um, it's been a rush for me, and I wonder when it calms down if I feel the same thing. I- I've had a kind of an opposite experience so far, and I'm almost afraid to admit this because it will probably bar me from ever returning to sports radio and might turn off the leagues that I've applied to work at, but I haven't watched barely any sports in the past 12 months. I mean, I tuned into the Flyers overtime win yesterday, and that was probably the first Flyers game I'd watched on TV for more than a minute in like uh, two years. <laughs> like, maybe not two years, but um, it feels like it's been a long time. And, and I didn't watch that much of the Eagles last season. I remember I was on a research trip in Detroit, and I could have rescheduled the dinner or like scheduled the dinner at a different time to watch the Eagles playoff game. And I'm like, you know what? I'm good. And I saw Wentz got hurt, and I was like, you know what? I don't. I don't give a crap. Like, I don't like. I don't yeah. care anymore. And I can relate to that feeling because it's very difficult to, to describe the people who don't work in sports. But when you work in sports, sports really it's does your life. a job. It is your life. And that rush you talk about is very real. But I, I've been, become determined to have my rush in life come from other things. And um, maybe that is a statement that I will look back on when I'm 34 and doing God knows what, <laughs> like, maybe quitting sports talk radio as a vice wasn't a great thing. But um, I think that for me, it was really about, as you said, I, I described um, this the other day, I said, 
I really wanted life to be about what happened after 5 p.m. Um, right. And I was able to live a pretty balanced life in Philadelphia, working afternoons, and I was in the office from like 12 to 6.30 every day. But um, I really wanted life to be about what happened after 5. And that's not to say that people in radio do not live balanced lives, but it was to say that for me, I would have been bouncing around small markets for a long time. And I, I didn't want that. I wanted to be up at 2 a.m. at Stonewall. I wanted to be, you know, in Bushwick with a bunch of my new friends, yeah. like at some rooftop bar getting hit on at like 3 a.m. That was what I wanted. And I got that. And look, like, life is crazy. You should always change your dreams. You should never be afraid to do that because people are way too afraid to do that. And I might be sitting here in five years back at WIP going, well, that was fun. But you should never be afraid, especially um, if you have something as profound as wanting to live a full gay life. You should never be afraid to make sacrifices that allow you to get to that point. And I admire you, too, for, I mean, you had a very, very, very cool, visible job, and you took a lot of steps, and I admire that, too. I think that it's really difficult, whether you're gay or straight, for people to make those moves and be willing to make those sacrifices. Well, I mean, the thing, too, is, like, everyone who I worked with at WEI was in their for, you know, in their 40s or 50s, married with kids. So they had no lives, and they watched games every night. Uh, you know, the fucking Bruins played a playoff game every Saturday night, Ben. And, you know, I it's, it's just like it doesn't... To be great at that job, as you know, you have to be on top of everything. You have to watch almost everything. You have to read almost everything. You can't just shut off. And, you know, it's really hard to live a fulfilled social life, a gay social life in a city... And still watch, you know, a Friday night Celtics playoff game. It just, it just doesn't go together. And there are ways to get around it. You know, I devote, I TVR'd, I, you know, I did all the tricks. But still, I think if you're not fully invested, your, your performance suffers. So it's, it's, it's really a hard balance. I mean, we've all been there, like, getting home from a date at 11 p.m. And, like, rewatching Monday Night Football by right. fast, like, doing one DVR skip for every But play. it's not I mean, the I've, same. I've You're just there. skipping through. Yeah. <laughs> it's right. not. It's really not. And I, I re but I remember too, like, this is a little inside, inside baseball, but I remember too that when I was doing my first on-air shift and I was totally obsessed with getting every detail, there's also the flip side where sometimes getting that level of detail is bad. And towards the end of my career, I was actually watching fewer games because I felt like it gave me a better idea of a, of a big picture. And oh. I, I just, it, it got exhausting. It, it, it just, it got really, really exhausting. And that had nothing to do with who I was working with, but um, it, working in sports for 10 years will make you feel differently about sports. It will not necessarily better or worse, but it'll bring out much different emotions. The same way people will say, Oh my God, all I want in life is having kids. And then you ask them when they have a 10 year old, how they feel. And they're like, Oh no, like, I'm glad I did that. But yeah. yeah. I, I mean, yeah, but but they're boring. I mean, it's just that I mean, that's the thing about like the best issues were not, uh, you know, who the Red Sox were trading at the trade deadline. And, and, you know, and one thing that we always did, you know, on the morning show was we just tried to talk about what friends would talk about if they're just sitting at the bar. And that sounds like a cliche. But, you know, what it like. The other day is a good example, right? Like Jerry Falwell, Ben, gets, uh, you know, has, has a situation with, with the pool boy and the wife and the recording goes out. And if I was on morning drive the next day with Jerry or Kirk, and I was in especially, we would have opened up the show 30 minutes just bullshitting about Jerry Falwell, 6 to 6.30, because, you know, and we wouldn't have gotten to the Bruins playoff game because just wasn't as interesting to us. So I don't know. It's just, it's, it's the, the other stuff is just more fun to talk about too, though. 
Right. And I think that part of that is that in Boston, you guys were very, very, very blessed and still are blessed to have teams that are so good that two things happen. One, there's always something to talk about. Two, there's such a desensitization to success that there's this apathy when the Bruins make the playoffs. So even when like the Patriots make the Super Bowl, there's like, oh, well, this shit again? Like, who cares? Yeah. Whereas in Philadelphia, it was the Messiah. <laughs> like, the world yeah. was ending when the Eagles made the Super Bowl. So I think that's part of it. But imagine how it felt in Pittsburgh. I mean, it's, it's 6 a.m. Uh, you are sitting there in February. Pitt basketball played, like, I don't know, like fucking Clemson <sighs> last night. And the Penguins, you're talking about the second power play. I mean, who gives a shit? <laughs> this is what we were talking about. And Philadelphia and Pittsburgh are very, very, very sports-centric markets. Whereas in Boston, I think there's more of a leniency from the listener to give into that kind of stuff because the sports stakes feel somewhat lower given that pretty much everything has happened. So in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, there's more of this misery of like, oh God, like we have to talk about this at all times. And I don't say that to be like disparaging to listeners. That that was what we were supposed to do is our job was to talk about sports all the time because that's what sports talk is in those cities. Anybody who doesn't think that, doesn't understand it. Like sports talk in those cities, unless you're doing morning drive and you're Angelo, and Angelo Capaldi is so talented at doing the other stuff that he kind of flies above this, but for the most part, politics don't fly. Like you don't succeed talking about pop culture. And this is just a very Philadelphia thing. But has anyone tried would be my question. I mean, why why is it that way? So that's a very, very, very complicated question. That goes back a long, long time. And I think that the short answer to this, um, in, in Pittsburgh, the reason was that you were up against music. So you basically had a captive audience. So your only idea was don't mess up. So as long as I talk about sports all the time, in most of these day parts, I'm not competing against another show. So as long as I'm talking about the Penguins game last night, I'm going to win. Like, unless I give a, a listener a reason to tune out and I do something stupid, as long as I talk about sports, I will win. In Philadelphia, it was different. In Philadelphia, the idea isn't that, like, you know, there was another station. The idea was that, well, what if the other station's talking about sports at this time? And that might sound like a weird thing, but people are very personality agnostic in Philadelphia. This might sound a little strange, but people are very, very much um, station adjacent. So outside of, again, outside of Angelo, who goes above all this, for the most part, people don't really give a crap what station they're listening to. They care about what station they know is going to be giving them the talk they want on a given day. So people are going to tune in across day parts to the same station or go back and forth based on what's being talked about. So it was, again, that same idea, is people weren't latching on necessarily to a personality. They were latching on to the quality of what was happening at a given moment. So if you're talking about the Eagles versus the pop culture thing, the bottom line is the average listeners in the more at the Eagles. So it was a simple oh. mathematical equation. I think the difference in yeah. Boston was that in Boston, it was much more personality driven, where the sports stakes on a given day always felt smaller. So it was much more about what person you trusted, where you would go to say you, Kirk and Jerry, over who you were going up against because of the trust they had in you. And I think that exists a little less in Philadelphia, which isn't going against the hosts. It's just the simple fact that that's the way people have been trained to think and the way those markets are. It's like a very weird thing to describe if you don't study it every day. And this is why, this is why, like, I was kind of successful as a producer was this is basically all I studied. But radio markets are weird, man. They are. Well, but don't people just want, I mean, you said it yourself. Don't they just want interesting talk? They do, but it's very, very hard to tell what a person is going to find interesting. It's really hard. And as 
shitty of an admission as it might be, sometimes just talking about the game is the safest thing to do. You have to be, let me put it this way. People overestimate how talented and smart they are. There are people in this world, and you and I have worked with both of, have worked with these people, who are smart enough that if they go in, they can outsmart the listener. But, and that's not to say that we all can't do it, but most people who think they can outsmart the listener and they can think what the listener is going to want is wrong. Like, they're going to be wrong. Like, they're wrong. They think that the listener is going to want to hear them talk about this political thing, and they're wrong. And the safest way to beat those people is if you go on against a legacy talk show host who doesn't – I mean, I'm not going to throw out examples of this, but we've seen this in the past five years. There are legacy talk show hosts who come in and think that people want to hear whatever the hell they want to say, and they just say what they want. And then they lose ratings battles because they've lost touch of what actually works. And people can't outsmart themselves. And there are so many people in radio that outsmart themselves. That is true, and I guess it is also playing to your strengths. Like, you know, me and Jerry, for example, recapping the Celtics Eastern Conference semifinals is boring. I mean, it just is. But me and Jerry going at it about, I don't know, Trump or the latest, you know, the wall or something or Bannon or something crazy is great. So it also is playing to your strengths as well. And I agree. I mean, there's also that thing too where, and I went through this after the Brady thing, and I think it's a lesson that a lot of people learn, is... At one point, you know, like it's sometimes it's just easier to not go home with that pit in your stomach. And the way to survive and the way to, especially in these times, avoid that pit in your stomach is to just avoid the the hot topics, if you will, and talk about the games. Because as you said, that is the, the, the safer way to go. And you get to, you know, hang on. A lot of people have had very long careers doing just that. And a lot of people have flamed out doing the opposite. Yeah, and I, I believe me, like even as somebody who was kind of more of a management type towards the end, I got myself in a lot of trouble. Like not not the same not kind fun. of trouble, but like a lot of I've gotten myself in a lot of trouble. And I, I think that that's generally the best way to go is to be safe. But we also wouldn't be radio people if we always made it safe. Like, and and to be honest, like if I heard you and Jerry talking about like the Bruins sec- second power play unit, I'd be like, what the fuck is this shit? Like, this isn't what I want. Well, because you know that neither if of I, us were. If into, I, if you I see, you had like right. three straight like straight sports tweets, I would be like, what are you? What the fuck is he doing? Because you, right, like you know, because you know that we're not, because you know that we're not into it, and we're and we're faking. Right. Exactly. And that's the thing. You have to be genuine. And that's look. You can make a career out of not being genuine. I mean, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you a great example of this. And you can go to any political talk show host, and this is probably true. Like, if you want a perfect example of somebody who is not totally genuine, Clay Travis is a great example of this. I firmly believe that Clay Travis doesn't mean half the shit he says anymore. Because if you read what he said, like, 10 years ago, he was not like this. He was, no. maybe had inklings of it, but he wasn't. What he understands is that he can follow this formula and that there's a niche that he can fill and he can make a shit ton of money and live in his giant house and have three other vacation houses. And he doesn't give a shit about the consequences. That's, that's what he's become. And he's okay with that. And you can do that in sports talk for sure. But if you want to be special, if you want to be somebody that isn't just collecting paychecks and you want to be somebody who's really representative of of yourself and what you bring to the table, then you have to find this medium between how do I not get suspended for like, like me talking about like a dead guy in the apartment that which is like the reason I got like in trouble at my old job. Um, whoa, whoa, tell me that like, story. Wait, I'll tell that story in a second because this is this one has been buried <laughs> for a while. Um, so it, you not do that, but also like not just pull back and not be like, well, I'm not going to talk about sex. I'm not going to talk about politics. I'm not going to say anything controversial because that's that's also the milk toast thing nobody wants. It's really really hard. And those are the people who are successful in today's day and age. I'm going to give you a great example, and this is not to say anything about anybody else I've worked with, but Greg Giannotti was 
the most talented person in the world at this. And, and that's why I admire him so much. He was able to play the game and he, he's able to work with management and work with really, really smart radio people. Cause the people who run radio stations are there for a reason. He's been able to work with them and learn from them and build their trust and also do a show that's very true to himself. And that's why he's doing that show with Boomer right now. And he's so successful. And I worked yeah. with him when he was, he, had, he was doing his 10th show ever when he was in Pittsburgh he was able to play that game. And there are, very, there are a lot of people who can go off the rails and be inappropriate. There are a lot of people who can play it by the book and do like the kind of Mike and Mike style show. And then there are the people who are able to do both those things. And those are the people in today's day and age who are extremely special. All right. Tell me about the dead guy in, in the apartment. So um, I'm glad I can tell this story now. Cause I got, it got me in a lot of trouble when I was in Pittsburgh. So um, when I was living in Pittsburgh, I, um, was like the third mic on the show. Like I was the producer. I was yeah, kind of yeah. like the classic whipping boy thing. So the Baba, Boo- um, the, the Baba Booey of uh, whatever show. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So I was living in this apartment in Pittsburgh. That was, um, it was a house. It was paying two seventy a month, which um, <laughs> like I was making at that point, probably like part-time $8 an hour. So I had no money. <laughs> um, and I had this roommate that was really, really, really weird. And he, he disappeared <laughs> on vacation, locked his door and um, left his window open. So the apartment was cold as hell for two weeks. And I started to tell, um, I won't like name names of who was on the show at that time, but I started to tell the host, I was like, um, this is kind of, um, it's kind of weird. And he's like, we should talk about it. I'm like, okay, yeah, let's talk about it. And so I openly volunteered this on air. And meanwhile, my PD gets really, really uncomfortable. He's like, you shouldn't be talking about this. We're gonna end poor. And I'm like, dude, the guy's on vacation. Like. And so every day we'd try, we'd try to like talk about like, what, is, what do I do next? Like, where's this guy? What do we think's happening? Is there like some kind of like malfeasance going on? And uh, we have a moment after doing this a week on the show where they're like, you have to call the police. <laughs> you have to call the police. And then I had a moment. And this was like seriously a moment of maturity for me where I was like, um, okay, like I'm being a 23-year-old that's been out of control on the radio. And I got home and told my roommates we have to call the police. And we called the police. And it turned out that the, the guy was in there. <laughs> he had, I don't know what happened. It was like a drug overdose or something. But he had been in oh there the God. whole time. No, I know, right? And so um, everybody Ian, Ian was furious at me. They're like, <laughs> what's that? Ian, check no, on I, I, well, I, the door was locked, and I'm a good roommate, so I did. I wasn't gonna go in there. Oh, right, and... right. You're, you're, you're such a good roommate. You don't check on whether roommates. You well, know, there. I, but here was also the thing <laughs> that I, I figured at that point I was like, well, at this point there's probably nothing I can do. Um, like what, like, and so, um, so like, it, whatever happens, and I get in a lot of trouble at work, and um, I get like. I didn't get suspended, but I got like a different punishment, which I won't get into. And I remember that moment because that was like a moment of maturity for me where I thought, look, like there was really no harm done here. Like there wasn't. But I think that it was like a really like grotesquely stupid thing for me to do. And again, like I was really, really young and I was yeah. not thinking clearly. I was like fresh out of college. I was kind of on like a shock jockey morning show. And I think we all have these moments, different things happen yeah. and they're like, or in a program different ways, but we all have these moments in radio where we realize what's appropriate and what's not. And right. we never fully learn the lesson. Some of us never learn the lesson at all. But um, I tell that story because I think anybody who knew me towards the end of my radio career and anybody who knows me now knows that I'm like an extremely like responsible, like think before you act. Um, kind of person and we all grow into those moments but I think telling those stories about and you can relate this too like telling these stories about the failures you've had um, right. in life in general I think is really important because 
I hate this, and it's something you get a lot in the professional world, is you get people who pretend they've been these perfect people the whole time, and I hate that. I hate right. that people don't tell these stories about how they messed up royally when they were 22, 23, whether it's my gay friends, whether it's my straight friends, whether it's people on the radio, whether it's people I work with. I want to know how people messed up, and I think that's an important thing to tell. Oh, I agree 100%, and uh, I totally understand what you're saying about it. It's easy to get carried away. You know, it's very yeah. easy to just get lost in the persona um, that you're being on the air and cross the line. I mean, it's very it's very easy to do that, especially uh, early on when you're doing morning drive like you were producing and, you know, I was doing as well. Yeah. And I look, there were a lot of um, there were a lot of moments after that. And some of them were kind of ironic, like um, and I'm sure we'll get into more of this. But one of my favorite memories um of my time in philadelphia was there was a time when we were doing a lot of gay jokes on air and they would be initiated by me and they would be totally appropriate like not offensive at all but um if they were coming from a straight person they'd be weird and no again like there was this like for me there was this classic thing where um i think everybody who's gay has experienced this where you come out of the closet but not everybody knows you're out of the closet. So when you say you're gay, they they think you're coming out to them. They don't realize that you've been out this whole time. And that happened to me on the radio a trillion times. So there would be people, whether it was outside the station or in the station, that would become upset and be like, he can't make these jokes. We're going to get in trouble. And we'd be like, he's gay. <laughs> he's gay. And I think that for me, it was always this question of, like, is it okay for me to, like, make these jokes and, like, do these inappropriate things when I am gay or is, is it not? But um, I always, again, like, you always have to find out how to, like, walk this line and figure out what's appropriate and what's not. But I, I just found it funny that my later transgressions tended to be things that people thought were transgressions because they thought I was homophobic when in reality I was just a self-deprecating gay man. That always <laughs> amused me a lot. Did you ever, did you talk about your gay life on the air or, or no? So I did. I we would talk a lot about um. So like we would do segments where we would talk about like a date I was on last night because there were definitely I'd go through these things all going like like and my friends all about this. I go in phases where I go on like five dates in like two weeks or something, and um I went through one of them in Philadelphia and we'd like track each one and talk, and go back to it. And one of my favorite ones we did was I went on a date with this guy. And he was, like, really, really cute. Like, I had an amazing time with him. He was shy, but, he, we, like, we had an incredible time. Like, we watched Alien. We only got halfway through it. Um, we talked about how crappy of a movie it is, which Alien, terrible movie. Don't even want to get into it. But uh, we got halfway through. It was a perfect, like, perfect date movie. Um, and uh, we, we had a great time, but I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> I had no idea what his name was. I swear to God that I knew at some point. But over the course of the night, I forgot and so I had this, we did like half an hour during a down period on should I ask this guy out again when I don't know his name and how should I bring up getting his name again? And the yeah. reason I bring up that story is that story has nothing to do with being gay. And the thing I enjoyed most on the radio and the thing that's most important to me is that I wanted me talking about being gay on the radio to be just like people talking about being straight. Sure, like there were times yes. where we did segments where like we taught like the athletes the names of the gay clubs and they were like, no, like, yeah. that's not a name for a gay club, it can't be. But um, th there were also these moments where we were just talking about my dating life. Right. And it, I was afraid at first, like if I talked about like things that were germane to being gay, that it would be 
a turn off to the listeners, but I realized that talking about gay dating really isn't that different. And that's the thing I think that if I had any prayer for what sports become and what sports talk becomes, when I think about sports talk and I think about guy talk, that side of it specifically, whether it's you argue it's misogynistic or whatever, it is what it is. Look, we talk about women, strip clubs advertise on radio stations. It's what it right. is. Like that's that's the way it's always been. Penis and, enhancement uh, companies. Uh, right. you know. But gays need penis enhancements too. And this this brings me to the point is that <laughs> <laughs> what a segue, right? No, so this brings me to the point, which is that I wish that we could just treat it the same way. Like I don't think it needs to have its own avenue. I just wish that I could think about like the way I think about guys. Like if I think a male athlete's hot, and I think I did this on air a few times. Like if I think a male athlete's hot, I just openly admit it. Like I think we brought this up a couple times where I openly admitted that I thought Ben Simmons was like really, really cute. Like I had this huge crush on Ben Simmons. Yeah. And I I would just talk about it. And it wasn't like it wasn't any I wouldn't say it was like appropriate. Like it definitely wasn't any more appropriate than like somebody hitting on a female athlete, but it was like, if men can do this to women, why can't men do this to men? And why can't we have the same pushback and push forward with it that we do? And that's, that's what I have with my friends here that I love. And I, I've always been somebody who like, hasn't been super, super seen. That's always like mostly hung out yeah. with straight friends. It's just how I am. And um, the thing I love about my friends at school, like I love to guess about them is they treat every date I have and everything I say about whether it's like sex or, or romance or anything the same way as if it was one of them talking about a girl. It doesn't even occur to them to think of it slightly differently. And that's what I hope sports talk becomes is that we can talk about you or I going on a date in the same way that we talk about women and men going on a date, that there isn't this intrinsic difference. And I think that's where guy talk can pivot is that, Guy talk doesn't have to just be about women and like, oh, women. It can be just about guys having these urges and wanting them. Like any guy who like listens to sports talk radio that like thinks about strippers and like, you know, wants to like go and like see like the, the hottest female reporter. Like I got news for you. Like there have been male sports reporters I've watched because I find them attractive. Like that's a real thing. And I think that normalizing that is such an important thing that, that not just saying it's okay, but making it feel the same is something that's missing. And that's why I admired what you did on EEI and why I tried Thank to you. do it more on WIP was this idea that it's the same. It's not any different. Why are we treating it as a different thing? I, I couldn't agree more. The one thing I would say about me that I'd be curious to get your take on is I took it to another level. I didn't just talk about uh, going on a date, I talked about uh, going to the bathhouse in Montreal. <laughs> I talked about, you know, um, having getting felt up in the bathroom at a at club cafe. And looking back on it, you know, later in my time at WEI, I held back on some of that stuff. Um, did you hold back on stuff? What was or? Well, so so there were a couple differences there, and these are not sexy differences. So I apologize for like well, right. drawing yeah, was, like more right, of a were, functional right. line, right. but like. A part of it was, first of all, like I was responsible for my shows on air product because I was the producer. So um, I had to kind of be more um, cognizant of what was appropriate and not. Um, WIP was also more of kind of like um, less of a shock jockey station by the time I got there than it had been traditionally, which is a good thing um, because it's been very successful recently. But um, that was part of it, too. I think also for me, I was still trying to feel out how to 
do it appropriately. Um, I wasn't exactly sure to do that. I know now that if I went back, um, especially after the times I've had in New York, that um, the way I talk about it might be a little different. I do know that, that what radio has done for me, and specifically that experience, is it's given me the comfort around straight people, and this is something I hope a lot of gay people can, can take with them, is to not have fear to talk about your experiences in the same way that straight people would. Um, that if a straight guy went to a party and felt up four girls, what do you think he would be talking about? Like, let's be right. honest. He would right. be, he would not shut yeah. up for three weeks. It would be nonstop. It was so sick. Like, Look what I did, man. Look. Yeah, so why can't we feel like that? Why is it like, oh, well, you're gay. Like, that's, that's not impressive. And my friends, like my friends, if they hear I've like slept with four guys in a week, which I have, like I'm a 29 year old gay in New York. Let's be honest. They will oh, not, yeah. they, they will not like may, be like, oh, well, that's gross. So they won't be, oh God, like, did you bottom? They're not like that. They just like high five me. And they're like, that's awesome. And that is what I hope for sports talk and for gay guys in general and gay yeah. and LGBT people in general, that we can start to normalize this stuff and right. have the same dialogue that we have. It's the same thing we go back to where if a guy slept with three girls versus a girl slept with three guys, the narrative was different. And society right. is moving in the direction where we're starting to understand that that's fucked up. That honestly, anybody who has had great sex three times in the last, week should be really happy and should be like for as long as they're doing it like intelligently should be like people should be able to enjoy those things and not feel shameful about them and i think society has moved to the point where we're like that's fine i want to move to the point where it's embraced the same way and we celebrate it the same way and we don't talk about gay yeah. sex differently than straight sex because because i remember right. my gay friends would tell me you can't talk to straight friends about about the, um like your recent like relationship yeah. you can't because i feel like i can't it. to be honest the few straight friends i have left i i feel like i can't i have the same thing <laughs> but but i've i've found and i've tried to push that paradigm because i've found that that reinforces this idea that you can't understand dating isn't this like archetypal experience and i think that's ultimately where i want all this to move and what i hope for the world is as somebody who has like not to feed into like this straight acting <laughs> Um, you know, that, that stereotype, but I've always, like, I struggled early on because I've never really felt super comfortable being seen. And that's not like, that doesn't have anything to do with like pride or anything. I have like four pride hats and I talk non fucking stop about this shit. But for me, like, I always wanted to feel like I could be nested in this friend, group of friends that I had and not have to change everything just to feel comfortable. And I think that what I really appreciated about the people I worked with in radio over the years and my comfort level changed, but they never changed was that from the first person I worked with to the last, all the people I've named um, from Chris Muller, Greg Giannotti, Andrew Filipponi, Colin Dunlap, Jim Colony, all those guys in Pittsburgh. And then um, you got all the guys in Philadelphia, John Marks, Ike Reese, Chris Carlin. None of those guys for a second ever treated me like because I was gay that my dating experiences and my sexual experiences meant any less. We had fun with it and we joked about it, but any time it came up on air, they were very cool with it. They supported yeah. it. They actually wanted me to do it more. And that's, that's what I think when you talk about straight and gay in the relationship, and especially as you talk about sports, we need to get to the point where these things are normalized. And they are normalized in a sense that you can have interactions between gay and straight people talking about sex the same way as gay and gay. And I think that that's going to fix everything eventually. Cause once that happens, it won't be as hard for an athlete to come out. It won't be as hard for a sports psychos to come out. 
the challenge now, and this is why I, I don't know about you, but this is why I struggled to come out, is not because anybody would be anything less than accepting. It was because I felt like I had to be different and talk about myself differently. And I don't feel like that anymore. And it's great. Did you experience any pushback or homophobia from the listeners? Even when you told like a, a you know, a pretty standard dating story or? Never. Like I, Never. I maybe huh. it happened once and I like just yeah. ignored it because I've taken so many calls over the years, but I, I can't think of a time. Like I really can't. And I, I think it really speaks to the fact that one, this whole idea of like what cancel culture has become is actually really great because it makes people who have really shitty opinions go away. <laughs> like it does do some bad things in some regard, but I think people yeah. were too afraid to push back even if they felt uncomfortable. And I think it shows that deep down, if people are put in the right situations, and this isn't true for everybody, because I have a lot of friends that have been in situations where they were never going to be accepted. And I understand that to have those parents and be in that situation. But I think most people want to be accepting. They do. They just don't know how. Um, they haven't met the right person. They haven't been in the right situation or the right city. And I think what that experience showed me, and I would hope being on a station that leaned conservative in a lot of regards, you had the same experience that you find that people are actually pretty open-minded. They oh, just lean conservative. That's an understatement. Lean conservative. I was trying to be kind. I was trying to be kind. I mean, but WIP I, I too, though, right? Aren't all sports talk stations conservative? No, WIP is actually very liberal. Um, oh. I think that, I mean, well, we have, like, it's like everybody except, like, I, I won't, like, get into business, but, like, there are one or two hosts that were, like, very, very heavy Trump supporters. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I think that generally it was pretty, um, pretty liberal. Um, and I think that maybe that goes back a little bit to the characters of the sports talk listeners in the cities, but... And that was also the thing that really struck me is I almost felt like a sense of shame, to be honest, in a way. Like, I'm like, oh, my God, like, I've been working in Philly and I've been too timid to do this. And he's doing this in Boston. Like, the fuck is yeah. wrong with me? Wrong and, with and, that, and that was what was inspiring about it for me is not just the fact of being able to come out, but this idea of like, not just the fact that you did it, but the fact that your co-hosts were like, no, this is a good idea. Like, why yes. can't we do this? Yes. It, it was it was seminal, and I don't think people yes. I don't think people realize how seminal those little moments are until you see how they impact other people. I mean, yeah, the one thing I'll always say is, you know, Jerry and Kirk. Every time I was in the morning, the text line would light up. Reamer sucks. F Reamer. I'm never listening again. He's awful. He's ruining the station. And you know, what everybody who's ever been good at sports talk. That's not like an intrinsically gay thing. No, well, no, but I would say that, no, well, I, right. I, I don't think that I experienced really a, a lot of homophobia per se. I think there was some of it, but my point largely was, you know, there are a lot of hosts who, if they bring someone in a couple times a week and the text line lights up like that, they never have that person on again. Jerry and Kirk, to their credit, said, no, I don't care what you're texting. You're listening and it's good. We're keeping with that. And I've always been appreciative of that because that's, that's, that's kind of rare, at least in, not everybody is like that, at least from my experience. No, they're not. <laughs> I, I also, I will say this too, which has been kind of interesting is, I don't know what your experience has been, but for me, there's always been this kind of, people are stunned when, gay guys I'm talking about, like people are stunned when I tell them I worked in sports radio, especially yeah. now when like, you know, I'm a Columbia engineer, which is still like a weird thing to say because I don't feel <laughs> so, like that. So, so but, that's impressive. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it sounds impressive, but then people are more impressed. And I'm like, oh, yeah, and I was a sports talk host. I'm like, oh, like, what kind of show did you work on? I'm like, it's just like, it was like the top rated, like, sports talk show and afternoon and so on. And they're like, what? <laughs> How did you bury that? And, and guys are always really impressed by it, which I thought they would be more impressed by when I actually did it. <laughs> like, it's, right. it's actually been, I think, as um, a gay that has worked in sports, it has, um, it has carried a lot of power for people because they're so um, – they're so fascinated by it and they're so surprised to hear it that it's carried a lot of weight. And I think that that's, I think that means a lot to me. And that's something that I've kind of taken away. I I do wish that I had been more um, out and open about it when I had been on air and that I used it more, but it also is kind of like a sense of pride for me that I was able to kind of do both that I not only like, am I like this, I did the engineering school and I was on the radio, but also that, um, for me, like I was gay and I worked in sports, I think that meant a lot to me. And um, I, I think it means a lot to other people too. And I think that we talk a lot about pioneers and people who have changed gay life for the better. I think the more we see the world change, the people who are making these changes are people who are making these changes in a very small community that are making them right. like you have when you did it when you were in EI or like to a lesser extent, like I did when I was in Philly. I think that for every person right. that does that, there are five to 500 people that take away from it and go, wow, like, I feel a little more comfortable now. And, you know, we talk so much about the people um, of the 80s that made these big changes. I think now it's really become these small individuals. And that's what I hope um, yeah. anyone who listens to this takes away that um, really, and I like the fact that I connected with you because I saw what you did and it influenced my work. I hope that people understand that you are seen and you matter and you matter to everybody else who's experienced what you've experienced, whether they're the same age or younger or anything, or, or, or even older, these experiences do matter. And I hope people can understand that even for me, like when I was just like a radio producer who was like making no money, okay money, um, in Pittsburgh and in Philadelphia, like it, there were these small moments where I was able to have that influence on people. And even now right. that still influences people. And I hope people can understand that no matter who you are, um, whether you're gay or straight, like your ability to make these incremental changes in the world of sports and in general does matter. The more of us out there there are, the more people know us, and then you go from there, you know? You become less of an alien. It's not, just, it's not just quantity, but it's also quality, I feel like. Like, to be gay is one thing, but to be gay and forge a path, whatever that path is, and however that path means to other people, I think that means a lot. And we are generally of higher quality than straight people as well. I think that's <laughs> worth pointing out. In certain areas. <laughs> ben, this was fun, man. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. I, I appreciate you having me. So hopefully you enjoyed uh, my chat with Ben as much as we enjoyed it. A lot of fun. Before I go, I would also be remiss if I didn't plug our trans rugby series on OutSports all week long. We've been featuring voices from trans rugby players to push back against World Rugby's proposed trans ban. Each day this week, we've run profiles of trans rugby players about why they play the sport, how important the sport has been for them, and why rugby is for everyone. So check those out, outsports.com. As always, you can find me on Twitter, at AlexRemer1. Again, my Twitter handle is at AlexRemer1. And we'll talk to you all next Saturday on Labor Day weekend. So